Welcome, white men warriors, to the Practicing the Pillars podcast, where every airman is a leader. When you lead yourself first, others will line up to follow. We're glad you're with us, white men warriors. This is Chaplain Captain Graham Bailey. I'm joined by my co-host, the inc- co-host, the incomparable Tech Sergeant Kim K.D. Desilouse, 509th Bomb Wing Master Resilience Trainer. And our very special guest today is the Director of Air Force Resilience, Brigadier General Claude Tudor. Sir, thank you for being with us today. Yeah, first, you know, thank you so much for allowing me to be on here with you and, and being here with Team Whiteman. What, what an incredible journey this is. And uh, no pun intended there with uh, with the music coming. It in. is a good journey. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, sir, we are re- we really are honored to have you with us. And I, I, I just got a quick question. I'm looking here at your bio, and this is a this is a podcast about comprehensive airman fitness. And I've got uh, I've got your bio here. And um, for those that uh, that can't see, um, we're here with a special operator. We're here with a guy that is a battlefield airman through and through, uh, 1994 air combat command, uh, combat control officer of the year, 1996 air force special operations, combat control officer of the year, uh, 1996 air force combat control officer of the year. So I bring that up just to say that we are here, uh, with, uh, with a battle tested airman, uh, and, and, and sir, there's this sort of stigma or perception maybe that that battlefield airmen or special operators are thinkers and doers, uh, and and they compartmentalize their emotional well-being. They compartmentalize their emotional health. Uh, I, I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think that that maybe in your community, uh, you folks uh, own your emotional health and take responsibility for it. Um, and I'm wondering if you could speak to uh, that perception uh, 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 that that. Battlefield airmen think and do, but don't feel. And then, and then a second part to that, uh, a follow up would be: uh, How did you go from being uh, this battle-tested uh, airman uh, to the director of Air Force Resilience? I'm sure that's a incredibly uh, cool story. Yeah. So first, you know, thanks, um, and don't believe everything you read in the bio. Um, you know, there's a uh, a lot of people that put information in there and uh, you know it's an honor to do everything that I've ever done in the service and you know so coming in uh, as a combat controller within special tactics um, it's really a team of teams approach there's absolutely nothing that I have done throughout my career where it has been just me uh, I am surrounded by uh, so many different excellent people who do incredible things whether it's you know, the pararescuemen that I work with, the combat controllers, the TAC-P, uh, the combat weathermen, now special reconnaissance, and then, you know, the the magnitude of combat mission support folks that we work with. You know, I like to use the analogy, you know, um, we like to think, you know, as special operators that we're at the center of this wagon wheel. You know, we're we're the tip of the spear, but, you know, if you, if you think about it, if, if those spokes on that wagon wheel aren't equally as true and giving 100% to that mission, then all of a sudden, now that wagon wheel is going to be really wobbly and not true. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really takes a team approach uh, to get after that. And, you know, when you start to talk about, um, you know, the resiliency aspect of that and, and thinking about um, do we take our feelings and, you know, basically try to, you know, put them in a box, um, you know, <sighs> The mission is difficult as, as it is, and, you know, once, you're, once you step 
you know, whether it's you're, you're stepping onto the jet to, you know, go jump in somewhere or you're on a submarine getting ready to do a lockout with, with those folks or, um, you know, you're, you're infilling on, you know, horses or camels or donkey, you know, however you end up getting to work. Um, getting to work on a donkey. I love um, it. You know, it's just, uh, that's just part of, of doing the business. Um, and what happens while you're out there, you're so focused on, on mission execution because a lot of times it's in a, a very high stress, no fail environment. Um, it's usually national security. It's usually, you know, something of that magnitude um, where it's very high vis, no fail. Um, and so, yeah, you, you will compartmentalize a lot of those things that happen, but there's also a decompression time uh, when you come off the X, you know, the target. And, you know, we rely on each other very, very heavily, but we've also been very, very fortunate. Admiral McRaven, uh, back in 2014, started a thing called the Preservation of the Family and Force, which is really where, um, from an Air Force perspective, the comprehensive airman fitness, those domains, those four domains, um, are built into that. And that is what today True North is modeled off of. And, you know, it's, I can't think of another tool in the toolbox that's helped um, I would say Air Force Special Operations Command and, and the Air Commando Nation, if you will, um, to help get through a lot of the challenges that we deal with. And, you know, whether it's, you know, special tactics or it's one of the other weapon systems that are out there within, you know, that special operations enterprise, um, we do it together. Um, nobody goes alone and nobody's ever left behind. And uh, so... It, we use, you know, whether it's the embedded operational psychologists, the clinical psychologists, the, um, you know, just that team of teams approach that we're working with with True North, you know, by creating that placement and access, it develops a trust and confidence in those caregivers mm-hmm. that our folks want to visit them. They want to be with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're seeing them on a daily basis, whether it's, you know, at the early morning doing physical training or if it's walking around the squadron or it's you're out the shooting range and they're, they're shooting with you or they're out on the boats and they're picking up your parachutes when you're diving and um, helping you with your tanks and just doing all those other different things. They're, they're with you all the time. So it's, it's not like, oh, my gosh, there's chaps mm-hmm. or, oh, there's the, there's the psych doc. No, it's, hey, there's my teammate. You know, there's, there's Johnny, there's Susie. And, you know, it's, it's just your, your one team. And, and it really helps with that compartmentalization. Uh, to unload that and, and make sure that you're you're able to be uh, at the tip of the spear, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, and the top of your game because you've got that 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 wingman who's on your wing, you know, to help you get through those challenges that you deal with. So I, I just what I hear you say, and I think it's it's so profound, and it applies across the whole spectrum, not just of the Air Force but life in general, and and that is uh, relationships and community. Uh, building trust with people and doing life together uh, and also taking advantage of the resources that are that are readily available to you uh, because you have that you have that relationship and you've built that trust uh, which is which is really uh, which is really a, um, a, a simple yet profound truth to to doing life uh, and, and being uh, whole um, so this is, uh, as we've already gotten into a little bit, a podcast about comprehensive airman fitness. And uh, our 519th Bomb Wing MRT has got some questions for you. So let's get into it. General, we often hear um, a negative stigma associated with the word resiliency. 
but we know how important it is for us to have these tools that help us develop our airmen into resilient people. So where we are now, how do you see the resiliency program evolving to sort of detach itself from that negative stigma? Yeah, so first of all, again, great question. And as, as we kind of dive into resiliency, we kind of have to ask ourselves, what does that really mean? Um, and so as I look at it and I continue to dissect it, I, I look at how do we uh, dive into the challenges that we're working with on a daily basis and, and start to find solutions for them you know, internally. Um, but then how do we externally go across those, those four domains um, and, and seek the help that you need from those pillar owners, if you will. And, you know, the, again, going back to the special operations model, you know, uh, alone, you're, you're, you're kind of a good weapon system. But think about that power of bringing all of those things to bear and how strong you are inclusive to drive that resiliency and to drive the ability to be able to not only succeed today in what you're doing, but think about it, you know, from an aspect of, all right, you've, you've come into the service with a set DNA, and that's from your parents. And then over time, you know, whether it's from clergymen, from teachers, from coaches, from, you know, friends and families, you know, that DNA is morphed just a little bit more. And then you come into the Air Force, uh, and what a blessing that is. And then we start to give you integrity service, and excellence on top of that. And so now how do we maintain that trajectory, if you will, of this greatness of, of creating airmen that just have the, the toolkit available to them and using the comprehensive airman fitness as that kind of um, that cornerstone, if you will, um, to be the benchmark of, okay, across these four domains, you have something to fall back onto to continue to grow and become even stronger in your walk of life. So that as you work through your career, whether it's, you know, uh, a one pump enlistment, whether it's, you know, multiple years, whether you um, do a full 30, what does that look like on the trajectory moving back out right. of the military? And so how do we take our airmen, big A, you know, so officer enlisted in our civilians. And how do we make them even better people so that when they go back out into society, outside of wearing this uniform, the cloth of our nation, they are going to be the biggest recruiters. They are going to talk about all of the incredible things that happened to them along their journey um, in the Air Force. And, you know, it's, it's how do we make them better people? And I think that's the resiliency model. And I, I, I want to stress the importance of the family in that. Because so many times we talk about our airmen, big A, you know, the civilian, the officer, and the enlisted. A lot of times we don't talk about the importance of the families. You know, and I can tell you my 27 years, um, uh, I've been living as a geographical bachelor for 10 of those years. Um, a lot of that is based off of mission, and a lot of that is based off of um, uh, some self-choices that my wife and I made for some stability of the family. And there's a lot of other people that have done, you know, like things. Uh, it creates its own challenges, its own unique uh, things. You know, but at the end of the day, it's 
how do we make sure that we're taking care of them? Because I can't tell you how many times that, you know, I, um, I turn to my wife and I'm like, here, hold this. And then I deploy and I get to do the things that make me feel alive, that make me energized, that make me, you know, feel like I'm just full of life. Well, while I'm out there doing those things, all that stuff that I told her to hold that I took out of my rucksack, my rucksack is now getting full with new challenges and new things out there. So now when I come back home, not only is she dealing with all the stuff I left her with, <laughs> now she has to deal with yeah. all the new challenges. And, you know, it's my kids as well, so it's a full family. And so now how does she deal with all that? Because, you know, by the way, I need to unload all of that new stuff because I'm getting ready to go back to the field and, and fill up again. And, and fill up yet again. So over this 27 years of, you know, being in the service and constantly deploying, um, her rucksack is overfilled. Matter of fact, she's probably got about seven or eight rucksacks filled, <laughs> uh, you know, over the years. So, uh, you know, I, I married a saint, so I'm, I'm very blessed with that. Um, but how do we make sure that we're taking care of, of our airmen and their families and their kids? And, and how do we bring them into this? Because, you know, nine times out of ten, they're going to be the first ones that will, you know, start to see those indications, threats, or warnings, if you will, so to speak, of the challenges that we're dealing with. And so how do we properly empower them? How do we properly provide them with the tools, the education, and the training? Um, and then even the ability to, you know, unload some of their luggage uh, that they've been carrying for so long. Uh, so that they are equally as resilient, you know, because, you know, we all came into this knowing what we're doing. You know, a lot of our spouses and specifically our children, you know, didn't really know what they were getting into. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we owe it to them dramatically, you know, and, and it's making that meaningful connection through these different processes and through the comprehensive airman fitness model um, that they feel equally as welcomed into our Air Force. Absolutely. Um, recently we did a tactical pause, our resiliency tactical pause. And one of our actionable takeaways is that it would be beneficial for us to shift from an eight hour, uh, briefing style type of training into a more condensed version. And we want to sh break it down into about two hours and it would, uh, accommodate accessible conversations, engagement, understanding team dynamics and as well as facilitate facilitating trust within teams. And that's one of the things that has been preached quite a bit is within resiliency, not having that trust is, uh, it's a profound issue um, that we're seeing. So one of the, this right here was a success for us. Um, this was uh, conducted in FTAC for us. And so what other things have you seen across the Air Force that followed the RTP? to that you would also consider success yes let me start with um so we rolled out the resiliency tactical pause um we called it operation thursday uh we did that on purpose uh, we wanted to memorialize uh lieutenant colonel dick cole um so for those that don't know he was actually um the co-pilot for doolittle as they did the raid he actually was also part of operation thursday which was a, a soft operation um with the Chindits and then the first air commandos. Wow. And so uh, we really wanted to memorialize him and, you know, it was going to roll out on a Thursday. 
And so we're like, hey, let's let's kind of tie this to some of our heritage, our lineage of our Air Force. And um, I, I actually had the honor of having lunch with him and dinner with him several times down at Hurlburt Field. Uh, we were actually down there. General Webb at the time was, was the commander of AFSOC. And uh, with, during the 75th anniversary of Operation Thursday, uh, he was there with us. So w- what an honor um, for us to have that. And, then, and again, just have him you know, be part of our Air Force and then be able to continue his legacy through Operation Thursday, which, you know, again, when you think about, you know, uh, the Doolittle Raid, you think about Operation Thursday, you think about the wicked challenges that they were dealing with and the solutioneers, you know, I, I think, you know, Disney has the Imagineers. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, you know, we in the Air Force, specifically within special operations, are the solutioneers. Yeah. You know, we got challenges, we, and we find ways to fix them. Um, but it's not just a soft thing, it's an Air Force thing. You know, I, th- I think we've got incredible people that can do that. And so, as we started looking at the uh, Operation Thursday, we, we did it in an operation order format, uh, which is not normal for the Air Force to do things like that. Um, but we wanted to make sure that people were looking at this very differently. You know, this is not your normal wingman day. This is not your normal down day. This is not your normal training. This is something different. This is a way that we are going to help rejuvenate our Air Force. And, you know, I can tell you from, you know, the secretary to General Golfing to Chief Wright, you know, they looked at me and they're like, Claude, you have to find a way to be bold and aggressive, you know, as you're getting after this. Um, you know, the, the suicide challenges that we're dealing with, this, it's not just an Air Force problem. It's, it's not, you know, just a, a, a military problem. It's a national problem. You know, as you start to think about, um, you know, in the news every day, you see first responders, you, you know, whether it's the firefighters, the policemen, you know, our veterans. Um, it's a significant challenge out there across our nation. And, you know, so it's not the number. You know, everybody's like, oh, you guys are only worried about the number. The number matters, but every airman matters. And, you know, our senior leaders have not taken their eyes off of this challenge, and it has nothing to do with the number. It has to do with the significant impact that it's having to our airmen. And, you know, so they have maintained a laser focus on this, and they're not coming off. I mean, there's just no way. Um, They're investing their time, their money, and their energy into making sure that we are creating these meaningful, connected uh, pieces with our airmen. And so through the, the Resiliency Tactical Pause Operation Thursday, you know, the, the chief empowered the wing commanders to, you know, pick their time and their choosing uh, to make sure that we weren't being too prescriptive, but yet we were giving them the right tools and the opportunities to engage with their airmen. And I'll tell you, we, we heard our airmen loud and clear. Um, you know, just in a matter of a short time period, we had over, I think it was about 15,000 inputs um, and some really, really good inputs. You know, so it really came down to a couple things. Um, they wanted to hear and they wanted to see their senior leaders more, hmm. you know, which then that kind of drove right into the, um, the trust and confidence. So a lot of our young airmen didn't have the trust and confidence in their unit, their unit leadership because they weren't seeing them or hearing them. And I'll tell you, I, I love our wing commanders because they, they took the chief's intent and they went out and they executed brilliantly. Um, and they did it from a command team perspective, not just the commander, it's a command team. So when you start to look at, um, you know, the wing commander and the command chief, that's an incredible command team 
that drives action across their installations. Um, and then they empower that down to the squadrons. And, you know, whether you call it sergeant's time, whether you call it leadership time, it was really getting down into, you know, the squadron room, the flight room, the ready room, whatever room it was, where these small teams were starting to talk about the challenges and the issues and what we can do and how we can do it better. You know, it really wasn't all about suicide prevention. It was really about building that connectedness, a meaningful connectedness across our Air Force, revitalizing our squadrons as the heartbeat of our Air Force, mm-hmm. um, and then making sure that we are providing opportunities for our airmen to seek and get the help as early as possible, um, to keep them in a prevention role versus having to slide into an intervention or even you know, a postvention you know, model. Um, you know, because 97% of our, our airmen that go and get this help, there's no adverse effect to them. You know, they're, they're back on the line. You know, so that's one of those myths that we want to make sure that we're kind of debunking out there um, is that it's okay to go get help. Um, you know, our airmen deserve it. And that's part of this true north model. So kind of breaking into the question you actually asked me, um, you know, from the training piece of this um, from where I sit up in the, in the Pentagon, I've asked my team to take our organizational chart, you know, the traditional you know, block and tackle type of a org chart. And I said, flip it upside down. Hmm. And we're actually at the bottom of this org chart. And our airmen and families are at the top. And we need to listen to what they're saying. And we need to clearly understand what is it that they need in order for us to provide the right, whether it's training, whether it's tools, whether whatever it is. Um, so one of the things that we're doing is we're partnering and pairing with Air University, uh, the Academy, and AETC, Air Education and Training Command, um, to make sure that we're looking at that very clearly, to find the best ways to provide that training, and potentially in a scalable model where, you know, um, an airman basic and a brand new lieutenant may receive certain levels of training that, you know, when you're a, I'll call it a more seasoned um, gentleman like myself, um, maybe you don't get those same levels. You get the same intent, you get the same, you know, pieces and parts of it, but maybe it's not delivered the same. Maybe it's not in the same content, um, but you still meet your bylaw requirements and you still meet the things that we have to f- that are congressionally mandated but we just do it in a different twist to make sure that our airmen are receiving it. And, and maybe it's not in an eight hour block. Maybe it's, you know, um, through, uh, an iPad. Maybe it's through, um, maybe it's through just these small discussions. You know, maybe we turn it on its head totally. Uh, one of the things that we're looking at is actually taking, um, operation grit, which is something that you has been using now for a while and create a common lexicon across our entire air force so that it doesn't matter where you are. Um, say you're doing battlefield circulation or you're just traveling around or, you know, you, just, you're, you meet an airman at the mall. You've got an instant connected piece to be able to talk to them about our heritage, about our core values, and about these training things that are now f- are, are linked and, and uh, basically on the foundation of our comprehensive airman fitness. And you take all these helping agencies that now, I'll call it snap link into Operation Grit. So now they have direct ties, direct linkages into that. So we can create this common platform to simplify all these helping agencies and what they provide, where they provide it, and how they provide it. 
so that it's simple enough that our, our family and our airmen understand, you know, who they are, what they do, and where they are. But then you start to tie in that training piece so that during your conversations in the, the team room, the ready room, whatever room that is, maybe that meets that same requirement. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not this, you know, full-up mass briefing. Maybe it's, it's done through different mechanisms and it's done through, you know, more face-to-face contact where, you know, they can have more deliberate discussions on, hey, what does that really mean to me versus sitting in an auditorium getting this mass briefing on, you know, education X. So hopefully that answered your question. Absolutely. Um, I think tier focus training is extremely important, as you said. Um, And you kind of answered my next question a little bit, which is (laughs) great. No, it's great. Um, You might actually be able to elaborate a little bit. Um, I was kind of curious to you how you would speak to, or if you could give advice to maybe a supervisor or leadership specifically, how would you incorporate training uh, resilient training to airmen earlier in their career because right now you know we're, we're here kind of on the we're trying to get to a prevention standpoint where we're able to begin preventing certain issues and that would obviously start at the bottom like you said or at the the newer airmen right the the brand new ones that come in what would you say to those to those uh, leaders that have the ability to take that first hand step and begin to instill that into them yeah so my first advice is, you know, as a leader, you need to be a servant leader. Um, you really need to understand what that means and, you know, make those meaningful connections, you know, with your airmen and their families. And how, how do you define that? How, how, do you, how do you instill that? How do you teach that? Um, and then, you know, again, partnering with Air University and, and, the, and the different uh, education pieces, um, General Cotton and I have had these conversations and uh, he, you know, he's the one that reached out and said, you know, hey, Claude, I really want you to come in and, and help us work through this to make sure that we're getting this right so that our, the future of our Air Force has leaders in the right places at the right times with the right tools uh, to make sure that our airmen and the families are getting the care that they need. And so to me, it's the um, being a genuine leader, um, being a servant leader, truly caring about your people. And, you know, so there's a, uh, uh, you know, if, if you take the 1948 leadership doctrine and you take the, the leadership doctrine of today, um, there are words like love, compassion, yeah. caring that are in this 1948 document. And if you look at our leadership documents of today, it's, it's all about the it's mission focused. And, you know, to me, it's, it's people first, mission always it's not the other way around Mm -hmm. because if you don't take care of your people you don't invest in your people you don't love your people and and really and and i you know it may sound sappy but you know i i mean it 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 comes from the heart um that is when they will perform because they know that you care about them they know that you are willing to go to the table to make sure that what they need to do the mission is what you're going to do. Um, you know, they know if, hey, um, they need to take any face out and hydrate because they're, you know, being overutilized, that you're willing to balance the mission, the resources, and the intent to then make really hard operational risk management decisions that impact the force and that impact the mission. 
So, for example, you know, um, you, you make the hard decision that you're not going to generate those four sorties tomorrow because you know your maintainers are, you know, on the edge and they need a break. You know, um, that's a hard decision to make. But they know that, you know, when you make decisions like that and you're making it in the right lane and the right interests, they know that when at some point you're going to come back to them and say, yeah, hey, team, um, we got to generate eight sorties the following week because we got a surge and this is really, really important because of, you know, X, Y, or Z. When you're honest with them, you're transparent with them, and they know that you have their best interest at heart, they'll move mountains, you know, for you in order to achieve those objectives. Um, but it's when you have that, um, you know, I even hate to use the word, the toxic leadership, that, you know, it's leaders that are, it's, um, you know, what's in it for me versus what's in it for my team? Because um, it should never be about you as a leader. It should always be about your team, your unit, your organization. You know, it's like, you know, when you ask me, you know, where do I belong? Well, I, I belong to the Air Force. I just happen to be a special operator who now is, you know, in Air Force resiliency. But I'm an airman. Yeah. I'm an airman first. You know, so when you start to, uh, you know, you ask a Marine, you know, hey, what are you? They're like, I'm a rifleman. A lot of times in, in our service, when you, you know, well, hey, I'm a, you know, I'm a this or I'm a that, instead of saying I'm an airman. And so that's one of the, you know that's one of the challenges that we'll, we'll continue to work through, and I think you know through True North and through uh, just continued leadership contact, and you know with the the top leadership that we've had in our Air Force for a couple of years now, between the Secretary, you know, the Chief of Staff, and the Chief Master Sergeant, I have never seen a command team so tightly woven together uh, to help drive these changes. Um, we are in you know probably the perfect place in order to drive a lot of the effects that we're trying to get after to get our air force, you know, rejuvenated in a way that, you know, every airman is just going to want to continue to thrive. That's amazing. Thank you very much for that. Uh, Sir, you've said some things that just get me fired up uh, and and I get really excited. These are the things that that I heard you say. Uh, I I heard you say uh, that, that we're on a journey to create great people uh, and and that is that is uh, inspiring that we're on a journey to create great people and that and that being an airman uh, and and what we do as airmen really really does contribute in powerful and profound ways to creating great people uh, and and that is is so exciting to me and 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 I think about uh, this 1948 to today uh, leadership doctrine and the long blue line. Uh, the heritage that we have, um, that, that we are part of a heritage that believes in the power of loving and caring and being compassionate for people so that they can do great things as an overflow of being great people. Uh, and it's just, it's just such a privilege and an honor to be a part of that kind of an organization and to be a part of an organization that wants to democratize, if you will, that heritage. When you talk about getting uh, tech tools and training out, like following this grit model uh, in USAFE and, and, and getting all of this, uh, this powerful and inspiring stuff out to people so that they can become great in their own right. And that when we are great as individual airmen, when we are our best airmen, 
I believe that there is nothing that can stop us that will stop us from being the best Air Force. We already are, right, by the way, the best Air Force the world has ever seen, but even better, right, even better than the best Air Force that the world has ever seen because we've got great people doing great things who are being loved and cared for from the top down and the bottom up. Uh, and, and that, sir, really fires me up. Um, and, and now I feel like I'm, a, I'm about to start preaching, and, and I don't want to do that. Uh, I want to ask you one last question, uh, and, and that is, uh, clearly, you have uh, in, engaged in some pretty incredible things um, uh, throughout your career. And I'm curious what you do uh, on, on a daily basis. How do you maintain uh, your uh, your comprehensive fitness um, so that so that you can um, both hand things to your family from your ruck and also fill your ruck with stuff that they're handing to you what is one or two things that you do um, on uh, on a daily basis to practice uh, your own personal resilience you know physical training is a key thing um you know, just doing PT in the morning. Yeah. Um, it, it really helps kind of set the tone for the rest of the day. Um, you know, I, I talked to uh, Chaplain Hendricks quite a bit. He, uh, Mike Hendricks. Yes. Um, he was, uh, he was my chaps uh, when I was 24th wing commander and we still maintain. He's a, a stud. Really, really. Absolutely. Yeah, he's a rock star. I like uh, him. We maintain a great relationship and we, uh, I still use him as an outlet quite a bit. Um, and then it's, it's a network of friends you also you rely on and you know the it, it's just it's again part of that belonging mm-hmm. and and having relationships it's all about relationships um, it also has to do with a lot of reflecting um, you know in just in my 13 months as the wing commander you know uh, on the very first day as, as I was walking off the stage I was handed a, a cell phone and uh, we had an issue with a uh, an airman as they were deploying back from overseas and so I had to deal with that you know rapidly and in day three of uh of our wing command we had a triple murder suicide um out in Spokane Washington um we had another young airman uh Chuck Edwards get all shot up uh, in Afghanistan and um you know just right after that uh Justin Day on his first deployment his wife was you know pregnant and uh, he ended up, uh, he was in close contact, uh, you know, fighting the enemy, doing the things that he loves to do. And uh, he lost his leg above the knee and several fingers and, you know, just some pretty significant emotional, you know, issues there. And, uh, and then uh, Aubrey had their, uh, their son, uh, it was right near Christmas uh, this last year. Uh, and then right in the middle of all of that, then we kind of had the Medal of Honor to, uh, you know, take care of uh, John Chapman. And, you know, what an epic event that was uh, there in D.C. And, uh, matter of fact, uh, my command chief, Jeff Gilmain, and I got to lead the memorial push-ups with almost the entire uh, national capital region right there at the Air Force Memorial. You know, what an honor that was for, you know, command chief Gilmain to lead those out. And, you know, and then, you know, right after that, on the 28th of November, uh, we lost Dylan Elchin, Staff Sergeant Dylan Elchin um, in Afghanistan. Also during that time, Captain Ross and Sergeant First Class Edmund, uh, Iman was uh, was lost too, um, you know, because we work in a joint team. It's a joint environment, and um, I want to make sure that they're remembered as well. But you know, part of my you know my daily uh, uh, resiliency, um, you know, 
I carry a card in in my pocket uh, every day, and uh, right now I've got twenty of my killed in action on one side of it, and uh, I've got eight pictures right now. But there's actually nine uh, just yesterday. Actually, it was the day before uh, we lost another pararescueman in a training accident. So it, it, again, it's it's very personal to me. Um, about what we do and what we say and, and, and how we approach this resiliency piece. And, um, you know, I, I can't thank, uh, you know, General Slife and the, uh, the AFSOC community uh, for what they do to continue to support, you know, this, these special tactics and the rest of the air commandos uh, as much as they do. And I also just want to, you know, a, a shout out to the, you know, to the 24 South for what they're, they're going through right now because of, you know, another loss of an airman, um, and, and the key thing is that, you know, we'll never forget them. Uh, you know, that's how special and that's how much we love them, mm-hmm. you know. Um, that, you know, it, they die the first time, you know, when the actual event happens. And we we never want them to have to go a second time. So we always will say their names. We will always remember them. We will um, always continue the legacy of each and every one of them. And remember their families as well, you know. So whether it's handwritten notes to the families or, uh, you know, Mother's Day cards, Father's Day cards, Christmas cards, holiday cards, whatever you have, whatever it takes. Um, one of the most powerful moments uh, for me was right at the end of my, my command where one of our Gold Star families who had um, not been wanted or not been wanting to be really involved with a lot of the things, this mother called me and just said, thank you for always remembering our son and remembering me. Uh, it was a pretty powerful moment uh, because she had been a real standoff. And uh, it was, that was kind of like my drop the mic moment. You know, I was yeah. like, you know what? Um, all the cool operational stuff that we do, all the, you know, all the other gee whiz stuff, um, that was actually probably the most powerful thing uh, throughout my 13 months, as, 13 months as a wing commander was to receive that phone call from this mother who just wanted to say thank you for taking care of our people. And so to kind of get back to the question, you know, of, of what, what, what should our leaders do? Our leaders need to take care of people. Uh, this, this is a family business. This is, this is people business. You know, we just happen to be, you know, practitioners of war, but it really comes back down to the people. And if we can just treat everybody with dignity, respect, and compassion, then, you know, I think our service will be much better. Uh, the world would be much better. You know, I could actually retire, and, uh, you know, uh, it'd be a great thing. I don't know what I would do yet. Maybe be a tugboat captain. I don't know. Um, we'll figure that out when, the, when that crosses. But uh, um, I don't see it happening anytime soon because of the challenges that we are dealing with, you know, as a nation. And... Um, It's just, it's all about people and relationships. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Uh, I just want to sum up really quickly what I heard you say throughout the course of this podcast, and that is people, 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 love, 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 relationships, relationships, relationships. Uh, Sir, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Thank you for sharing a little bit of your soul, heart and soul with us. And uh, we are grateful to you and, and grateful for the work that you're doing. Yeah, huge shout out to uh, Team Whiteman. You know, you guys are doing great things out here. And uh, 
you know, just moving around your battle space here. I, I see great things, and uh, I look forward to continued excellence from, from this wing and this team. So uh, great on you guys. 